Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Revelation chapter 3 tonight. I heard that voice. (laughs) And as we do that, let's ask the Holy Spirit once again to anoint our hearts with a spirit of wisdom and of revelation to hear what He would say to us tonight. Father, thank You for this great time that we're having here. Thank You for Your presence that's with us, Father God. Lord, I ask tonight that You would speak through Your servant, that You would speak to our hearts, Lord, that there would be words that would be spirit and life, words that would be energized by Your Holy Spirit, Lord, that would hit their mark in our hearts, Lord, and that they would accomplish the desires, Father, that You have for bringing us to this place at this point in our lives. Bless Your people in a special way, God. May they... May, Father, their minds be quickened tonight by your Holy Spirit. I trust you to do that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Last night, we talked about the inward journey, the journey that God wants to take us on by the Spirit. And He wants to reveal to us who Jesus is. He wants to dwell the fullness of Christ. Secondly, He wants to reveal who we are in the light of the presence of God. And then thirdly, he wants to reveal his grace for us to change. Because Jesus wants to transform us into his image. That's the ultimate goal of all of God's working in our lives. Is he wants us to be like Jesus. And that's why he allows pain and suffering. Because just as Jesus learned things through the things, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered, so in the same way will we learn through The things that we suffer, the tribulations that we go through, that's how God works many times the reality of His Word, the reality of His presence into our lives. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is addressing seven churches in Turkey. And this is the last church He addresses, and this is a familiar portion of Scripture to all of us. But He says this, and we'll begin with verse 15. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, And I would that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, this is what these folks in Laodicea were saying, they were saying, because I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That's what they were saying. They're saying, man, we have got it together. We've got a big building. We're rich. We're wealthy. We're spiritually wealthy. And yet, They did not understand their true condition. And Jesus says, You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wouldn't you agree that all of us have areas in our lives that are like that? That we think that we're rich and have need of nothing? And that with Jesus, when He would discern our true condition, He would say that we are poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. Actually, that's all of our condition before God. We're all in desperate need of the grace of God. Just some of us are more aware of it than others. And so Jesus has a solution for this, though. He says, I advise you to buy from me. Notice there's a cost. That's the thing we talked about last night. The cost of laying hold of the things of God. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich 
and white garments that you may clothe yourself, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, and we will dine with him, he with me. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is speaking this to the church? This is not initially addressed to non-believers, but it's addressed to the church. And what's Jesus doing on the outside? See, Jesus, who is supposed to be in the center of the church, these, these passages and chapters in Revelation picture Jesus as walking among the candle stands, walking and ministering among the churches. And yet, in this church, he is outside, and, and Jesus is knocking on the door. And, you know, we use this verse many times for non-believers, and I think that's appropriate. But really, the context is in the church. See, Jesus is speaking to one of his churches, and he's saying, hey, let me in because I want to come in, I want to fellowship, and I want to dine with you. In John 14, Jesus says that the Father and him and the Holy Spirit are going to come and make their abode with us. They're going to take up their dwelling place right in our hearts. And that's the kind of depth of fellowship that God wants to have with us. And that's our inheritance as children of God, that we all can lay a hold of that beautiful, intimate relationship with God the Father. And I would ask you tonight, is Jesus on the door of your heart knocking or is he in there? Is he in there enjoying fellowship with you? Because really that's his desire and his goal is he wants to fellowship with you. He wants to be your intimate friend. He wants to walk with you in the same way that Adam did before the fall. The Bible says that in the cool of the evening, God would come down and Adam and him would chat. Maybe they would chat about how to make the philodendrons grow better, or I don't know what they chatted about, but they would just talk as two friends. And when Adam would have a problem or something, he'd say, no, Lord, well, you know, how do I deal with uh, you know, the lions over in the eastern part of Eden? You know, or how do I deal with this? And God would communicate his wisdom and his understanding. And in that beautiful sense of relationship, Adam was to grow, and so was Eve, and so were the children that were to come after them. They were to grow with respect to God. See, God created us to walk with him, didn't he? See, you understand, we, we, are, we are so prone to religiosity. You know that. And I speak of religiosity in a, in a negative sense. Re- religiosity being a form that, that really takes the place of a real relationship with the Lord. And see, we, we can get so tied into our structure and our way of doing things, whether whatever tradition it is, the Pentecostal tradition, Catholic, Baptist, we all have our different traditions, and, we, and when we begin to find our meaning in that tradition, see, we lose the relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that we lose our salvation or anything, but we lose the richness that Jesus wants to, to uh, lead us and guide us and direct us. And we, we lose a sense of the ways of God. Because God's ways, the Bible says, are higher than ours. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And it's easy to do things by a program, isn't it? It's easy to read a manual and say, this is the way you do it, and you apply the principles and you do it, and God will give some success. And I think it's out of the mercy of God. We can kind of follow cookbook principles, and God will bless them. Sometimes he blesses them just because he loves people so much, and God is so anxious to minister to people that you know he'll almost bless any effort that we put into his kingdom. 
But in order for us to really have the full impact that God wants us to have, it's like when the, the children of Israel went into the promised land, they just didn't run in there and do what, do what they wanted to do, but they sought the Lord. And the first assignment was to go up to Jericho and not start battering the, the doors down, but to walk around it every day, to walk silently. And they did that for seven days. And then the seventh day, they walked around it seven times. Then God says, you give a big shout, and I have a big surprise waiting for you, and then you're going to go in and take the city. And they're all going, my goodness, what kind of strategy is this? This is stupid. We don't fight wars this way. But they believed Joshua, and they believed God, and they did as God said. When they shouted, those walls came down, and in they went to take the city. Now, they never did that again. That was the only city they did that to. They used other strategies as they took the promised land. But see, God's ways... Are, are infinite and they're, they're varied. God doesn't have to do the same thing twice. And, and if we hold to some kind of Christian program, some kind of discipleship program, and man, I'm, I'm for all these things, but, but there has to be the sense that we're being guided and, and directed by the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus has got to show us how to apply them in each person's life. And when programs lose that anointing, then they become religious and they produce death rather than life. Jesus said that the Spirit gives life, but what does the letter of the law do? It kills, see? And that's what, when legalism and all these outward rigid rules for behavior begin to be established and we lose the life of the Spirit, then, then we see we, we, we're, we get out of what God wants, wants for us. And, and it isn't interesting that the people that persecuted Jesus and his mission were the religious people. It wasn't the Romans that initially got after him. It was the religious people that had these preconceived ideas that this is what the Messiah is going to do. And they were so entrenched, they had such tunnel vision that when, they, when the Messiah came, they didn't even know. They, in fact, they were threatened by him and they began to plot behind his back and do everything they could to destroy the anointed one of God. And so in order to keep a fresh and a living relationship with the Lord, we need to take this, this posture of communing with the Lord and finding out, Lord, what, what do you want me to do in this situation? What is your heart towards what is happening? If you look through church history, it's a very interesting phenomena. As God moves in a certain way, and it's like God moves like the waves of an ocean breaking upon the shore. You have a move of God and tremendous things happen. And there's a, a reaping of people into the kingdom of God. And, and then as that movement kind of takes its course, and it's like the wave that crashes on the beach, then it, then it recedes back, and then comes another wave. And a lot of the denominations see that we have today were once a great wave of God. Say, and you know, the Catholic was the was was the church for for so long, many years. Was it was the church, and then we had a lot of splintering and and, and different things that begin to happen throughout church history. But see, at one time, these movements were alive and and fresh, and they were the present thing that God was doing in 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 a particular time and in a particular place. But what happens if we begin to make an idol of that? Is that God? See, He does something different. See, we, I was born in the charismatic revival. We had a, when I got saved on the, our campus, we had a tremendous revival. Man, everybody knew about Jesus on our campus because there was people getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. There was people that were healed. The guy, one of the guys who in our fellowship was the a photographer for the school newspaper. And so he started doing these full page layouts about what God was doing on the campus. And everybody was, what's going on? And God reaped a tremendous harvest on our campus through, through those years. 
And you see, the charismatic wave, as it were now, is like it's broken, and, and things were kind of in a, in, a, in a time of receding. And I think God's preparing something new. And if we're not careful, see, we'll stay with the old wave, and we'll say, well, God's got to move this way. See, that's, we, we, there's some friction between the Pentecostal, the traditional Pentecostal churches, and the charismatic churches. And there's this kind of jostling, and there's um, sometimes some pulling and, and uh, enmity and a little bit of striving. And it's because the old-time Pentecostals say, well, well God's got to move in this way. Say, And that's where some of these really entrenched attitudes you, you meet people with. Well, God's got to work in this way and no other way. And some, something new happens and God, people see God moving in a whole new way. And the folks that have just received the last wave, they tend to sit back and say, this cannot be of God. Because God didn't move the way he did, you know, in, 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 these, in this thing. And, and we don't realize how deeply these religious attitudes run in, and run in us. And we've got to be before the Lord... And be so moldable that if God wants to start doing something different, that we're willing to let go of the old ways and say, Lord, I'm willing to start meeting in some new ways. See, I'm willing to walk with you. And if it means the old ways have to die, fine. And old ways die hard, don't they? Oh, the, oh some of the attitudes, uh, denominational attitudes die real hard. And in, in order to keep ourselves from that, if we're fellowshipping with Jesus, He's going to keep us alive to what God is doing. And then when God starts moving in new ways by His Holy Spirit, we'll recognize it. And instead of standing back and criticizing it, we'll say, oh, Lord, I want to be a part of it. I want to be in on what you're doing. And I, I just believe it's in the justice of God that with the amount of people in the earth today that need to hear the gospel, that there is yet a great move of God on the horizon. It's rumbling out there on the horizon. And I don't know, I don't think it's going to be like the charismatic revival. I think it's going to be something totally different. And I don't know what it's going to be, but what, it, what I do know is that I want to be in a place where I'm going to be a part of it. I don't want to get left behind. I don't want to be one of those standing back and saying, what is this? God can't move in this way. Saying we've got to keep our hearts moldable. And you guys, that's a tremendous challenge because we have such a propensity to get religious and to, to want to hold on to the old ways. But if we're fellowshipping with Jesus, if we're communicating with Him every day and waiting before Him, we're going to be in a place where God's going to be able to use us. Now I want to talk today about the discipline of waiting on God. The discipline of waiting on God. When we talk about waiting on God, we're not talking about the Eastern concept of, like of, of meditation where we're simply emptying our minds of everything and just sitting as empty heads. I'm not talking about that. But when I, when I talk about waiting on God, I'm talking about filling our minds with who God is and focusing our thinking and our thoughts on the greatness and the wonderfulness of God. Do you enjoy silence? One of the things that I've observed and one of the things I found very true in my life is that I did not like silence. And I filled my life with rock music and uh, not so much TV, but music was my God before I got saved. And I played rock music all the time. And I could tell you what was on the top 40 probably for 10 years. And I, man, I just all the time listening to music. And if I didn't have music, I began to get antsy because when, I, when there was silence there, it's like I might hear my conscience saying, hey, you ought to not be doing some of the things that you're doing. And, and I think that in, in America, we're such, a, we're such a busy people, aren't we? And there's such a pressure to go, 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 hurry, 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 do, 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 that we can lose that time of just being quiet and relaxed before the Lord. I, uh, I think the, uh, the craze about the Walkmans where you can have uh, your uh, headphones on and listen to uh, whatever 
you have on your tape deck or on the radio, you know, even while running and doing everything you can be listening to something is an indication of our the bankruptcy of our society to just be at peace with ourselves. It's like we're all running pell-mell in this race and we're afraid to stop and say, hey, where are we going? We're afraid to stop and listen to what we might hear in our conscience. I like what Dave argues said that silence is the seedbed for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the keys for hearing God's voice is that we've got to quiet our hearts enough to begin to hear what God is saying to us. I don't think our problem is that God is not speaking to us. I think that God is communicating with us all the time. But usually the volume of noise in our minds is up so high all the time. We've got so much going on. You know, there's things running around in our heads and stuff. Is that we can't hear God because God is trying to speak to us in the still, small voice of the Spirit. And we've got so much going on in our minds. It's racing around in there. We simply don't hear God. And the discipline of waiting on God shuts down the machinery and lets everything wander down to a dull roar, at least, where we come to the place where we can begin to hear the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as I've practiced these disciplines over the past 10 years, I have found that to be very true, that when I am in a place where I'm quiet and tranquil inside, I really begin to hear from God much more clearly than when I get all hyped up and excited. And even hyped up and excited with the work of God and with what God's doing. There's very, very much a need for, for tranquility and solitude in our lives. Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, by the way, I highly recommend this book. A tremendous piece of work. And if you'll take the uh, 10 chapters that he's written on the various disciplines of, of walking with God and implement them in your life, you will be a, a giant step ahead in your, in your walk with God. Excellent. It's like he's, he's read all the devotional literature of the ages and, and drawn together the key points. Boy, I just can't highly recommend that book enough. He says this on page 13. He says, In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he, if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Psychiatrist C.G. Young once said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. I want to ask you a rhetorical question. How many of you spend time just listening, just being quiet, and just reflecting on where your life is going? You don't need to raise your hands or anything, but how many of you are taking the discipline to do that? Because that is a real challenge in our age. Boy, if there's anything that gets... That, that tries to get crowded out of my life. It's those quiet times with the Lord. And, and see, we, again, we get back to the, the mentality of our society that we've, you've got to go, you've got to be productive. Use your time for the best things. And we've got this drive within us, you know, to be most efficient and get the most done. And that, in many ways, runs contrary to, um, to what the Spirit would want to do in our lives. Not that being busy is wrong, but, in that, but that sense of being driven and I've got to accomplish, I've got to do this, is, is really more of the flesh than it is of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to quiet us down and to have a sense of peace and tranquility inside so that any moment the Holy Spirit may speak to us and that we can be directed by Him. And that takes a tremendous amount of discipline. And right from the beginning, I want to encourage some of you because 
the whole, the whole discipline of quieting the noise in our minds down is a monumental task. That's not easily done, and it's not going to be done in a week's worth of waiting on God. Probably you're looking at a, a two to three years of disciplined waiting before God, before we come to the place where we have enough control over our minds to begin to block out some of the noise and the temptations and just the the, uh, the stirrings of the enemy, the stirrings of our own heart. It really takes a, uh, a hefty amount of discipline. And I want to encourage you in that because if you start doing this for six months and you start going, man, this just isn't going to work for me, hang in there and keep seeking the Lord for His grace because in time it's going to come. And boy, the reward is worth it. The reward of having a mind that is under control of the Spirit and that is... is uh, even in the midst of busy activity, your heart, there's a quietness there where you can hear from God and God can direct us and guide us is, is really an exciting thing. So this is one kind of prayer. This, is not, we, this is, doesn't compose our whole devotional life, but I believe this element of waiting needs to be consistently integrated into our times with the Lord. The key verse here is Isaiah chapter 40. Familiar verse, I'm sure, to all of you. Isaiah 40, we'll begin with verse 27. It says... Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Now, how many of you have felt that way? That you're just being faithful and obedient down here, and it's like God doesn't notice what's going on in your life. It's like you go, hey God, remember me? Remember me? I'm down here. I'm serving you. I'm being faithful. I'm claiming your promises. Uh, Lord, where did you go? Any of you ever feel that way here? You just kind of wonder, hey, God, where, where did you go? You know, it, feel, it feels like you've left my life totally. And uh, Isaiah answers and says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of all the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though the youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And what God is promising us here is as we wait upon the Lord and wait for the Lord, that God is going to give us a supernatural dimension of life that is likened unto the flight of eagles. And you know how eagles ride the air currents way high in the sky and they, they just get on one of those waves and they ride and they ride and they ride and they're very graceful and majestic birds. And God says that you can live a life that is not just tied to the natural, that is not just lived on the, uh, the strength of self-effort. But if you will wait upon me, if you will give yourself to waiting upon me, then I will bear you up on eagle's wings and I will allow you to soar in the heights of my spirit. And God wants us to live a life that's supernaturally natural. A life that is in every way natural as far as taking care of living on this earth, living with the daily things that we need to do. And yet there's the supernatural quality of the Holy Spirit that is giving life to the things that we do. And occasionally God allows us to participate in the supernatural. And we're able to see supernatural things that, that have no explanation except the, a sovereign act of God. And, and by, the, by the discipline of waiting on God, that puts us in the position of being a recipient of God's grace 
in those kinds of circumstances. See, God wants you to live a supernatural life. But the quality for that, or the qualification, is having that time, having that discipline of spending time daily with Him. In Exodus chapter 24, you don't need to turn there, but Moses is a tremendous man, a tremendous model for us, because he was a man who had learned to wait on God. Moses' life is really interesting. He spent 40 years being trained in Egypt. He thought that he would liberate his fellow Israelites because he knew he had a call on his life. He, his mother had told him about the God of Israel. And I believe God began to speak to him that he was going to deliver Israel. And Moses said, man, I'm the deliverer. And, and one day, you know, some Israelites uh, or uh, this uh, Egyptian was beating an Israelite and Moses jumps up and he slams his fist into the face of that Egyptian and killed him and buried him and thought, I'm going to get us out of Egypt here. And the next day he was on the FBI 10 most wanted list and and uh, his some other Israelites were fighting and, and they said, uh, what are you trying to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses fled for his life. And all the dreams of becoming a deliverer faded away as he tended sheep for 40 years in the wilderness and simply learned lessons of humility, learned the lessons of obedience. I believe Moses walked with God in the wilderness, but as far as the call of God, it was gone. He thought, man, I blew my chance. God could never use me again. But when he was 80 years old, God spoke to him through the burning bush and says, I want you to go deliver my people. And now you're ready, and now it's my time. And the next 40 years of Moses' life are the, are the years of tremendous leadership. How would you like to lead two and a half million rebellious Jews out in the desert? That's, a, that's a, enough of a job for any one of us. And yet Moses did it beautifully. And he did it because he knew God and he learned to wait on the Holy Spirit. Moses was waiting on the Lord and he was up on the mountain and he waited seven days before God even spoke to him. And then God began to share with him the Ten Commandments and the, uh, the laws that were given at Mount Sinai. But he waited there seven days. Could you do that? Wait seven days? Man, I have trouble waiting seven minutes, you know. <laughs> seven hours would be a long stretch. But Moses had such a heart of discipline. He had so known God that he would wait. He waited there seven days while folk, you know, Aaron and the others were taking care of the camp down and down in the plain. But he was up there seeking God. And then God spoke to him and gave him the Ten Commandments that were written by the very finger of God. See, with the responsibility, and, and when we take our responsibility to wait on God, then God gives us tremendous privileges. It's never a waste of time to wait on God. See, in our flesh, we think that, man, if I just wait, I'm not doing anything. i got to be out doing something for God. And it really breaks our pride because we wait before the Lord and we recognize that, Lord, unless you do something through my life, it's all in vain anyway. Jesus said that in John 15 and verse 5. He said that apart from me, you can do nothing. And the discipline of waiting on God cultivates that sense of need, cultivates that sense that, Lord, unless you anoint this life of mine, unless you fill this clay pot, I am really worthless to your kingdom. And it really deals with that, that, that pride that says, I can go out and do something great for God. Because none of us can. But God can do great things through us, can't He? Boy, any vessel that is yielded to God, God can do tremendous things with. To hurry God is to find fault with Him. To hurry God is to find fault with Him. Moses waited there seven days, and at the right time when God saw fit, He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. 
And we need to be sensitive to the timing of God in our lives. God has times and seasons, just as our lives have times and seasons. God has times for doing things, and there's times that He doesn't do things. And in order for us to sense the timing of God, we need to be in the place of waiting before the Lord. You should look at Proverbs chapter 8 with me. It's an interesting proverb. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Proverbs says, Blessed is the man who listens to me. Notice, not just listen to the word, that's important, but listens to me. Listen to the living word that's quickened by the Holy Spirit. Watching daily at my gates. See, that's the discipline of daily devotional time. Waiting at my doorposts, for he who finds me finds life, and he obtains favor from the Lord. And see, most of us are content to get our messages secondhand. Just like Israel, when, they, when, when God revealed himself on Mount Sinai and there was fire and smoke and trembling and earthquakes, and all the people said, Moses, you go talk to God and then you tell us what he said. But as for us, we don't want to hear the voice of God because they were terrified and they were afraid because of the holiness of God. And a lot, and see, a lot of times we have a tendency to be that way. We say, uh, uh, well, pastor, you go seek the Lord and, and you get the word of the Lord for us and we'll listen to it on Sunday and we'll obey it and we'll integrate it into our lives. But as for us, we don't want to take all the time necessary to get to know God ourselves. See, Israel said that. They, they said that when they wanted a king. God wanted to be their sovereign king, but they said, no, 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 no. We want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel was brokenhearted and God comforted Samuel because God told Samuel, he says, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. And you see, it's easier for us to listen to a message, to read a book, to read a study guide, to listen to a tape than it is to get alone with God and to receive from His hand, isn't it? It's hard to seek God. It is. Our flesh rebels against it. Our, our pride says it isn't necessary. And it, it really is. It's easier for me to listen to some tapes and kind of gather some notes together and teach on something than it is for me to wait before God and say, okay, Lord, I want you to teach me of what this really means. What does it mean to claim this particular promise that I'm looking at because it's a slow process. It doesn't come very fast. But boy, it's very rewarding when God does begin to reveal and open and to uh, build these kinds of things into our lives. It's a tremendous thing. But it takes the discipline. It takes the discipline of daily waiting outside. The, the I like to think of it as going into the king's courts and just waiting at his door, waiting there and saying, the Lord, is there anything that I can do for you today? Is there anything that I'm doing that's not pleasing in your sight? Is there anything that you want to talk to me about as far as giving me instructions for my day as I go and am a student at this university or working on this particular job? And see, just waiting there, giving opportunity for the Lord to speak to you. Another quote from Foster, he says, So that we may not be led astray, however, we must understand that we are not engaging in some flippant work. We are not calling on some cosmic bellhop. It is a serious and even dangerous business. It should demand our best thought and energies. No one should undertake, uh, underestimate waiting on the Lord. Excuse me. No one should undertake waiting on the Lord for merely diversion or simply because others are doing it. 
Those who enter into it half-heartedly will certainly fail. T.F. Rotterbach has written, The best overall preparation for successful waiting on God is a personal conviction of its importance and a staunch determination to preserve, persevere in its practice. Like any serious work, it is more difficult in the apprentice stage, stages. Once we are skilled journeymen, it, will be, it becomes a part of our ingrained habit pattern. Waiting on God is not idleness, said Bernard of Clairvaux, but the work which beats all other work to one unskilled in it. And we've got to have that, that posture in our hearts that says, I am going to wait on God. And you guys, it's easy to go to church on Sunday, isn't it? It's easy to be a Christian in America. You can go to fellowship, you can go to core group or fellowship group, home group, whatever you're, you're involved in. It's easy to go and receive and get excited. It's enjoyable to fellowship with the saints. But if you're really going to be what God wants you to be, it means the getting up early in the morning or taking time off a noon hour or maybe late at night, whatever fits into your lifestyle the best. But it involves that sacrifice of saying, Lord, I'm going to hold on to the horns of the altar and I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to take the time that's necessary in order to lay hold of you are, uh, lay a hold of who you are. This is uh, this really illustrated well in Luke chapter 10, the story of Mary and Martha, which I find to be uh, so true of my own life. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 38, it says, "Now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home." And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. Now I want you to get the picture in your mind. Martha is getting lunch ready. She's grilling the cheese sandwiches, getting the coffee brewed, you know, and all those things. And Mary is out there in the living room with Jesus. And she's saying, Jesus, tell me more about this. And he, he was talking to her and she he was explaining some Thing that she had a question about and he she was enjoying the presence of Jesus and was taking this opportunity of this moment to ask him questions and Martha was getting the cheese you know and she was getting ready and pretty soon she started getting all in a huff inside see she got all, all anxious and it says here that Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to Jesus and said Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. And you can just hear the whirlwind. She was just ready to emotionally explode. And listen to Jesus. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. She's, Jesus was saying, hey, hey, take it easy here. Take it easy. But only a few things are necessary and really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. See, Martha, because she had not learned the discipline of waiting on the Lord, she got all in a real tizzy about this thing of, oh, Mary's out there being lazy and not helping me and the cheese is burning now and the coffee didn't brew and she was just... Ready to explode. And how many of you know when you're in that kind of position, you can't hear the voice of God? You know, God could shout at you and you wouldn't hear him. See, because you're just emotionally all full of stress and anxiety. But Mary chose the good part. She chose the part of waiting on Jesus, waiting, listening at his feet. Now, there's going to be times when we're, we're going to be serving like Martha. We're not going to always just be sitting 
in a kind of meditative position waiting upon the Lord. But when we do go to serve, we've got, we, we develop an inner ear to the Holy Spirit so that there's peace and joy and, and tranquility in our hearts even while we're making preparations. And we won't be distracted by the outward things because we have the inward presence of Jesus in a growing kind of way being made real in our lives. You see, it's what a challenge in all the dimensions of our lives to cultivate the presence of Jesus. Isn't that an exciting concept? Cultivating the presence of Jesus. There's a book that, that has been um, very influential for, for several hundred years, and it was written by an obscure man named Brother Lawrence, and they don't even know his first name. He has a little book called Practicing the Presence of God, and I highly commend that book to you. And he talks about how, in a series of letters to a friend of his, how he learned the discipline of practicing the presence of the Lord as he was doing dishes in this monastery. He, was, he never achieved any greatness as far as any kind of great ministry or anything, but he was known as a man who walked with Jesus. And the presence of the Lord was in a visible way. He was with this man named Brother Lawrence. And he talks about and gives instruction in these brief letters as to how to focus your thoughts on the Lord and learn not to be distracted by the doing of dishes and the, the shaving and all the little daily things we all have to go through, but bring Jesus and make Him a part of those little activities. And by, and by this practice of, of waiting on Jesus, we always have an ear so that we can hear what the Spirit would direct us to. In, 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 in the next session, we're going to look at Jesus' lifestyle and how Jesus did everything in dependence on the Father. Jesus didn't just run out and do His own thing and see, oh man, look at all these sick people. I've got to get out and heal them. And so He runs out you know, and starts laying hands on people frantically. But Jesus only did what the Father directed Him to do. Sometimes He healed everybody. Other times He walked up and healed one person and that was it. And sometimes he withdrew and prayed all night. And it was all in dependence on what the Father told him to do. And that's the way Jesus has sent us to go. Jesus has sent us to go in dependence on the Holy Spirit, obeying the things that Jesus would tell us to do. I appreciate the way Dave keeps, uh, keeps reminding us of that as he's teaching. You need to do what Jesus tells you to do. See, You need to wait on the Lord. You need to know that what you're doing is by divine approval. We need to have that sense in our lives. And, when we, and it's, you guys, it's a growing sense. It, it just doesn't come all at once. But we grow in our awareness and, and in our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That's a growing thing that will really continue to grow and mushroom all throughout our lives. But it's a wonderful thing to, to have a real sense of the peace of God in your lives. And I believe that begins by the by the discipline of taking a period of time every day. And I'm not going to tell you, you've got to take 10 minutes or an hour. That's something you need to work out with the Lord. But you need to have some time where you're spending just in quiet solitude, pushing all of the distractions and all the pressures of the day away, and just saying, Lord, I'm just going to take this time to sit here and to be with you. So how do we wait on God? Let me give you some practical hints here. First thing, First principle is that we need to recognize that God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. The Bible says, Psalms 139, David says, you know, if I go to the highest mountain, God's there. Even if I go down to the depths of hell, God's there. So we need to realize that God's presence is everywhere. So we don't need to say, Lord, you know, come here and visit me today. We need to simply say, thank you, Lord, you are here. You are everywhere. You're aware of everything that goes on from the, from, from the micro organisms from, you know, all the way down to the atomic substructures. God knows what's going on in all of the 
trillions and trillions of atoms in the universe all the way to the whole big picture. God knows everything that goes on. He knows our hearts as well. And so we need to recognize that God is everywhere. But what we, what we do is that we need to distinguish between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Now this, this, gets, this again, gets us into the realm of the experiential. And how many of you have experienced the presence of God? Let's see your hands. Yeah, probably most of you here. And it kind of comes and goes. Sometimes we're sensitive to it. Sometimes we're not sensitive to it. Again, it's not a mark of spirituality. It is not a mark of spirituality. It's simply, um, some, uh, it's simply an awareness that God chooses to give us at certain times. But the Bible does say that at times the Holy Spirit has manifested Himself in such a tremendous way that beautiful things have happened in the First Chronicles chapter 5, they were dedicating the, solemn, the temple of, of Solomon, the temple that David promised to build, and then fi finally Solomon completed it. And they went through all the appropriate sacrifices and were giving thanksgiving and praise. And when they finished that, God was so happy that He came by His presence. And it says the priests could not stand to minister in the temple because the presence of the Lord was so heavy. And see, God chose to manifest His presence. And there's going to be times in your life when you are going to sense the manifest presence of God. These evening sessions have been very refreshing for me because I've sensed the, the presence of the Lord in a very, um, very intense way. And uh, I think we learn, this is a, a, it's the fruit of our discipline. For the person that learns to wait on God regularly, you will become more sensitive to the presence of God. And you'll, you, it's like that when the wind begins to move in the trees, you'll begin to sense that, hey, God's doing something. The Lord wants to do something in the meeting here tonight. And the more sensitive to the Holy Spirit we grow, the more God can entrust to us. And the Lord can begin to show us, perhaps, that there's someone here tonight that needs some kind of healing. Maybe there's someone here that has a physical need. And God would say to one of you, I want to heal someone tonight. So you'll stand up and say, hey, uh, I believe God, God has spoken to me that God wants to heal someone of a back problem here tonight. And uh, someone else stands up and says, yes, I believe I'm to pray for him. And the person stands up and says, well, I'm the person. And God heals him. And see, God is glorified because all of us together are functioning as the body of Christ um, in the earth. And, and just think what can happen like when you're on the job. And what if God gives you a word of knowledge about one of the people you're working with? So I believe God can do that. I believe that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit really need to be out there where the people are, you know, where the people that don't know God are. But the, the, really, the, the, the platform for learning to flow in the gifts of the Spirit is to have that practice of waiting on God so that we can really be sensitive and hear the voice of the Lord. So, first thing, recognize that God is everywhere and that whether He manifests His presence or not, we know that He is there. When I get up um, generally in the morning and have my time with the Lord, I usually start out by saying something like this, Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You that You're here and uh, Lord, even if I don't feel you, I know that you're here, so you might as well reveal yourself to me anyway, because I know you're there. See, I don't let it bother me if I don't feel anything, because I know the Word of God says Jesus is there. He's everywhere, and He says He'd be with us till the end of the age. Then the second thing we do is, is to sit at the feet of Jesus. I like the, the, uh, the words there of uh, the, the message in Luke chapter 10, that we sit at the feet of Jesus really helps to have a quiet place. If there's music buzzing in the, in the distance or people talking, it can be really hard for me to wait on God and to just to focus in on, on, on the Lord. So I try to get a place that's free from distractions, a place where I'm not going to be interrupted by the phone or by people and distracted by different things. 
Find a comfortable position. Find it's good to be in a comfortable position. Whether that's if you like to kneel, if you like to sit, if you like to lay on the floor. doesn't matter. Just find a comfortable position where your body's not going to be screaming at you all the time about its uncomfortableness. Something I learned when I took the Lamaze class when my wife was pregnant with our, uh, with our boy is that they suggested in the Lamaze class that, that both um, the husband and wife go through these relaxing techniques. And what you do is you, you uh, either lay down or sit down and you think consciously of all the parts of your body. Like you start at your head and, and you consciously relax the muscles in your head. And then you, you know, your neck and your arms and your legs and you, you go all through your body. And you're so, it's really amazing that when you consciously go through and do that, by the time you finish with that, you're really relaxed. And I didn't realize how much tension I carried around just unconsciously. I would be, you know, either arching my my shoulders or, or you know, squelching up my forehead. And and I've learned to be more aware of that, so I can just be a little more relaxed in my in my day, daily life. But that can be sometimes helpful too, just to come to a place of relaxing. Now, if you have higher levels of anxiety, and some of us do have high levels of anxiety. This particular discipline is going to be very difficult for a while, but I encourage you to work at it because it's, it's, it's really going to be beneficial in the long run. And then to wait on the Lord, you need to deal with your thoughts. David said in Psalms 131 and verse 2, he says, Surely I have weaned and quieted my soul. Our thoughts will tend to wander and think about every crazy thing. And, and that it's a real discipline to bring our thoughts under, under the discipline of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I do is that when I wait on the Lord, I'll take a verse of Scripture. And I'll just take one verse and I'll think about it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll just respond to God and say, Lord, thank you for that promise. If, it, if the verse is about some, some fact about the greatness or the character of God, I'll, I'll just say, thank you, Lord, that, man, this is true about you today. And I'll just allow my thoughts to focus around that verse and to, to send her in and focus in on, on Jesus. That was Psalms 132, 131 and verse 2. And sometimes I'll think of, oh no, I forgot to give so-and-so this book. And so I'll have a little notepad and I'll jot down the things. I remember all sorts of things in my quiet time of things that I need to do. Oh, I need to write this person. I need to call this person. See, all that busyness starts you know, creeping in on you. So what I do is I have a little notepad and I just write myself a note and I'll say, yeah, I need to call so-and-so today. But then after that, I put it aside and I go back to waiting on the Lord. See, I, go, I don't let it distract me from what my primary purpose and sometimes I will sing if I, my thoughts are particularly hard to control that day. Sometimes I'll just sing and worship and sing choruses to the Lord and lift my hands. And after a time of singing, many times it's easier just to wait there quietly. And, and I've come to the place now where, um, where I've, I've cultivated, I guess, enough discipline where it's, it's fairly easy for me to wait on the Lord. And I can just... I can just kind of sit back in my heart and unwind, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a lot easier for me to hear the Lord now than it was uh, when I first started this thing 10 years ago. It really is a lot easier. And I can just uh, talk to the Lord at any time and say, now, Lord, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to do in this situation? And, and, and many times I, I will sense a direct prompting of the Holy Spirit to do this or do that. Now, every, that doesn't happen every time. And if I say, Lord, what should I do? 
and I don't hear anything, then I just make the best decision I know how to do. But at least I'm giving God the time to speak, see? If God wants to direct me in a particular way, he will. Isn't God big enough to speak to us if we're listening at all? Sure, God is. And so I know it doesn't bother me if I don't seem to sense anything. I just make the, the logical and the most intelligent decision at that point that I know to do. But at least I'm giving God time, the, uh, the time to wait and the time to, the time to uh, speak to me if that's, if that's God's prerogative at that particular time. But don't be discouraged by wandering thoughts. Just, and if you find yourself thinking about apple pie... Like that happens sometimes to me. I'll think about pizza and I'll go, hey, what are you thinking about pizza? You're waiting on the Lord. I don't allow that to discourage me. And don't, you guys, the devil will condemn you and say, you are so unspiritual. You are never going to be able to wait on God. What's God thinking of you? Here you're trying to, to commune with him and you're thinking about pizza. You know, I mean, the devil will ride you to the hilt if you let him. And what I simply do is I simply say, well, Lord, thanks for pizza, but I'm going to wait on you now. So I just bring it back. <laughs> I just bring my thoughts back to, to waiting and to, to thinking about him. See, don't, just, don't let, just don't get so uptight about it. When you become aware that you're daydreaming, just come back to why you're there. See, don't allow any condemnation. In fact, I don't even apologize to the Lord. I just say, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm here to wait on you. And, and I just kind of get my concentration back to him. Because otherwise, if you get all condemned about it, then, you, then it's hard to even go back to waiting. And, and you'll get into this discouragement thing so heavy, you'll, you'll say, ah, oh, forget it. It's not worth it to wait on the Lord. The third thing is we need to develop communion with God. And that's just that, that special relationship where we love Jesus. Where we just are quietly saying in our hearts, Lord, I love you today. Lord, you're a great, magnificent God. Thank you for all the things that you've given in my life. When I wake up in the morning, there's usually something that God has planted. My first thoughts when I wake up in the morning are usually praise and thanksgiving. And I'm usually just thankful. Oh, God, you know, I just appreciate your justice today. Or I just appreciate the, uh, the beautiful day yesterday. Or, you know, thanks for the special way that you showed your grace in this situation. I always find myself usually waking up with some kind of a song in my heart these last couple of years. That's kind of a neat thing. And I just, I just pick right up on that. As I wake up in the morning, and I, whatever, whatever's there, I just start developing and thank you, Lord. Sometimes I'll, I'll just be quietly praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, um, not waking everybody up, of course, but just quietly. And sometimes I'll just kind of hum a song as I'm laying there ready to get up. See, and I just pick up that communion, right? As I wake up in the morning. And that's a place that I've found that the enemy can attack. You know, the first thoughts in the morning, if there, if you start cultivating a bunch of negative stuff like, oh no, I've got to do this today, or oh no, I, I got this heavy test, and pretty soon, see the burden, you're putting that burden right back on yourself, that burden of anxiety, and you know, before you're almost out of the bed, you've got this huge burden on your heart, and it's hard to get rid of the re for the rest of the day, and I've, I've learned not to take that burden on myself, but I just, oh Lord, if I've got a test or something I've got to do that day, I say, oh Lord, thank you for your grace, that I'm going to have. And I say, I just push it back on the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that you're going to help me today. Thank you that you're going to help me to do what I can't do with my own strength. And as I found those times of, of communing with the Lord and waiting on him, many, many times God begins to quicken things. Sometimes he'll convict of sin. Sometimes he'll show me situations in my life that need to be changed. And it's been sometimes that it's been just literally like a, a, an instant replay. God has shown me in a situation and I've acted unlovingly or had critical thoughts or critical attitudes. And God has just shown me what they're like. And I go, oh, Lord, I, I don't want to be that way. And I repent of that and I ask you to help me to change so I don't 
duplicate and make those, uh, those same kind of mistakes again. See, sometimes God talks to me about that. Or sometimes God will just, you know, just quicken something about himself. You know, like um, one morning I was just, just uh, worshiping the Lord and, and the verse, if God be for us, who can be against us came into my mind. And I thought, yeah, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I just kind of pondered that. And it's like this new strength was coming into my heart. God is for us. God is for me, say. And it's like a, a God just put a little revelation of the fact that he is for me. And then when I go out in his name, if God's for us, who can be against us? And see, there, God was just building something into my heart, speaking and revealing something about himself or his word. And uh, sometimes as I, I usually submit the day that I'm going to, um, you know, the things I'll be doing for the day, I submit that to the Lord and uh, say, oh, Lord, I'm going to meet with uh, my staff this morning and... Uh, is there anything that I should be doing at the staff meeting? And just wait there. And sometimes the Lord will say, yeah, you need to, uh, you need to deal with this issue. And I'll go, oh, what issue? You know? And maybe there's something relationally that we need to work out. Or maybe there's an area that I need to confront and I've kind of been pushing it off. And the Lord will just remind me that this is something you need to do. Or sometimes the Lord will give instructions. I, and, and again, this doesn't happen all the time. But sometimes God has spoken so clearly. I'll have an appointment with someone. And the Lord will say, you need to confront them about this. And I'll go, whoa, really? Yeah, okay. And I do it and bam, it's the word of the Lord for that person. And it, see, it just comes out of that place of communion with God. You know, and, 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 that's, and that's that edge, that, that mark of the presence of the Spirit that's with us comes as we hear the voice of God and then we act upon it. I want to give you uh, an example. I heard this from a, man, a teacher in New Zealand. There was a man in New Zealand who, who had heard this message on waiting on God, and he decided to put it into practice. And he was an, an older fellow, and he was of the particular temperament that he, he could stay up at night. And so he decided that he would spend like from 2 in the morning till 4 in the morning waiting on God. Now, how he did it without falling asleep, I don't know. But that was, a, that was something that he was able to do. And he did this for, for, for a number of, oh, it was over a year, a large number of months. He just spent waiting on God and he found it to be a very special time. And this one evening he was just there waiting on the Lord and he was experiencing the presence of God. And he was aware that someone had come into the room and he had his eyes closed and, and he didn't, he just, he didn't open his eyes. And, and he, and, and after a minute, he knew it was Jesus, that Jesus had come there in his room and Jesus came over and he was sitting, um, you know, facing this way and Jesus came up behind him and Jesus laid his hand on his shoulder. This guy, I could feel it. And he says, I knew Jesus was there. And he says, my soul was just enraptured with the presence of Jesus. And I was just Oh, so happy. And he says, I didn't even open my eyes. He says, and then I, I felt something strange. He said, I felt water. And I thought, why would I be feeling water? And then he thought about it some more. And then it struck him. And he realized that Jesus was crying. And he blurted out and he said, Lord, you're crying. What have I done to grieve you? And Jesus said, my son, I'm not crying for pain, but I'm crying for joy because I appreciate the fellowship that we share. And you see, Jesus gets something out of this business of waiting on God. He gets the privilege of fellowshipping with us. Don't you think the Father wants to know us? Don't you think the Father is delighted when we take time just to find out what's on his heart? When we take the time just to put aside the work and say, Lord, I just want to 
be here and sit with you. And if you have anything you want to say, that's fine. If, if not, that's okay too. I just want to be with you. Oh, that's so pleasing to God. And how many of his children really take the time to do that? We're real good at being busy for God, but many times we're not very good at just being with the Lord and fulfilling his need for fellowship. See, God once maybe doesn't need our fellowship, but he wants it. And he's disappointed, I'm sure, when we're so busy that we never give him any time to fellowship and just to wait before him. And so let that encourage you. Let that be just a positive encouragement today that you'll want to spend time with him. And maybe it won't always be like this experience that this guy had. It was a beautiful experience. I'm sure he didn't experience that every day, but sometimes those kinds of things happen because God rewards those who wait upon the Lord. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not get weary, and they will walk and not faint. That's the promise for those who wait on the Lord. And then the fourth thing, really, this is an outgrowth of the first three. We develop inward tranquility. We begin to sense the peace of God. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says that we are to be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. See, that's the thing of rolling the burdens off on him. Then it says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you think it's possible to walk without stress, to walk without anxiety, and to walk with the peace of God guarding your hearts all the time? Scripture says we can have it if we're willing to pay the price of disciplining ourselves by the Spirit to get it. Jesus wants us to walk with the peace of God. And I'm learning, I don't always have it, but I'm learning more and more than I ever have to walk in the peace of God and allow His Spirit to, to permeate everything that I do and allow him to carry the burdens and allow myself simply the privilege of walking with Jesus and serving him. A lady named Basilea Schlink, I have a quote from her, and she says this, and this is especially very relevant for all of you who desire to be leaders. She says that the effectiveness of your service will be proportional to the time you spend in intimate communion with the Father. The effectiveness of your service will be proportional to the time that you spend in intimate communion with the Father. So the effectiveness of your service doesn't depend on your gifts, not how well you can speak, not how well you can lead a core group, not how well you can witness, not how well you can prophesy, not how well you can do anything. But really, the true measure of your effectiveness is, to, is proportional to the time that you spend in communion with God. And that's the closet time. That's the time that's hidden from people. Because no one knows the time that you spend with the Lord, just Jesus alone. But when you spend time with him, he is going to openly reward you, as we read in Matthew 6 last night. Mary chose the good part, the part that would not be taken away from her. And I pray that all of you will choose the good part, the part that will not be taken away from you. Let's wait quietly before the Lord together. Moment of silence as we close our class here tonight. And let's just push aside the concerns, 
the burdens that we're carrying. And let's just be quiet before him and just allow a quiet song of love and worship to rise up from your heart to his. And just allow your spirit to commune with the Father. the indwelling Holy Spirit by which we can commune with you, Lord, that you're not just out there in the stars somewhere, but you're right here, always just a prayer away. Father, I pray that you'll anoint us with your Spirit, and as my brothers and sisters here who are hungering to know you, Lord, and who are desiring to walk with you in a deeper way, that, Father, you will help them at whatever point they're at, and that you'll help them to establish a daily discipline of waiting before you, learning to love silence, learning to love to wait upon your throne, Lord. Help those, Lord, who who have undisciplined minds, who have a long road ahead of them. Encourage them today, Lord, that you're going to grant grace to slow down the noise that's inside and to bring them into peace and tranquility. And Lord, I pray that you'll plant a seed of faith in every person here that they will have the confidence to go through this process to the end. And the glorious and what a glorious end it is, Lord, the, the indwelling peace and righteousness and joy of the Holy Spirit. May you make it real in our lives, Lord, and may these seeds that you're seeking to plant in our lives grow in the years to come into great trees of fruitfulness for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Thank you, Father. Do it in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.